Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and this is AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. A podcast brought to you surrounding the conversations of art, creativity, and community in partnership with Apartment Party. Pre-pandemic, Apartment Party was a monthly DIY salon series, and it featured artists from all over the country of many different mediums. Throughout the pandemic, I keep coming back to a central thesis. What will joy look like in a community setting going forward? How can we continue to nurture each other emotionally and creatively? Thus, the birth of AP Studio Files. Join me as I speak with artists all over New York City regarding their art, their lives, and passions. Thank you so much for tuning in today and taking a moment to learn about the creatives coming up in our world. Today, I am interviewing Anya Kapischke, who is a multimedia theater maker and comedian. Anya's work has been presented at Apartment Party, I Don't Want to See That BK, Anchorist Syndicate, Am I Right Ladies, and The Wild Project. Their plays have been read by The Bechtel Group, Egg and Spoon Theater, Invited Dress, The Artistic Co-op, and Playthings, and they have created video work for Nerdist through UCB's Don't Think Productions, The New Ohio Theater, and American Realness. Their work often combines comedy, video, and media with traditional theater practices with the intention of breaking down traditional structures and categories. They are currently obtaining their MFA in performance and interactive media arts from Brooklyn College and helping theaters move online through video and audio editing. Awesome. So I felt it was only appropriate to have you as my first guest since we have been friends for so long. And I feel like I have had this great, unique experience of really getting to watch your work progress just like throughout your experience of living in New York and being in Brooklyn and then us becoming basically neighbors. And of course, certainly not least, but to introduce you to our audience as our technical producer. So I welcome you, Anya Kapischke. <laughs> Thank you so much for such a lovely introduction. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I feel like <laughs> like really nervous about putting comedian in my bio, especially before I start talking, because I feel like I should be funny. No. Um, okay. <laughs> so this will be a decidedly not funny conversation. Just, that is definitely the AP Studio Files brand. Decidedly, <laughs> decidedly not, not funny. funny. Perfect. AP Studio Files. So I had a really great, I think, introduction to you as an artist because I first got to read your play, <laughs> uh, Belly of the Ship. When we first started working together, just for a little backstory, Anya and I first met working on a production at New York Theater Workshop, Ooh. where Anya was the audio. Were you audio for that show? Yeah, or? I was somehow the audio somehow <laughs> engineer. Um, and I, I look back and cringe. I like made so many mistakes during that production, but it, it was super lucky. I met you. I, yeah, we. I think we both called that place home for mm -hmm. um I remember talking to you and you were like I have been absolutely thrown to the wolves <laughs> through this experience but um but it was so nice to get to know you and uh and like I said to get to know your writing and I, f I feel like I first read belly of the ship in maybe 2017 yeah that sounds right okay so and at that point it had already had one production yeah I wrote uh belly of the ship back when I was an undergrad and looking back it was very much uh, my own kind of exploration of of my own gender, I think. I, I didn't know it at the time, yeah. uh, for sure. But looking back, it was like, 
very much me trying to come to terms with like what was expected out of womanhood and Mm. um, becoming a woman from being a girl and what societal expectations that meant. And I was, you know, I was at Bard College, so it definitely wasn't like I wasn't exposed to different kinds of genders or different kinds of ways of being. But I think in my head, it was so like being non-binary, using they, them pronouns, any of that was like a step before being a trans man for some reason. Mm -hmm. And that I... After I wrote it, I was like, oh, no, (laughs) I don't have to like be on my way to being another gender. You can just not be a woman (laughs) if you don't feel like a woman. And and I think for that reason, that still has like a really tender place in my heart, that play, because it's full of so much confusion and struggle for me. But I, I think it still kind of speaks to a more general experience of struggling with womanhood in general. Yeah, I think it's it's very uh, relatable in that fact. And I, I do think looking back on it and kind of seeing your progression with gender or without, um, it, it is sort of interesting looking back and being like, oh, baby Anya. <laughs> baby. <laughs> it really is baby Anya. <laughs> baby Anya, but that's totally fine. So then moving on forward into your writing, I had the absolute pleasure, I think, of reading one of the first scenes of You Don't Deserve to Die. That was such a pleasure because you have this absolutely beautiful way of expressing the human experience. I am constantly blown away by your writing and you'll just come, I'll be like, oh, I'm really in love with this scene. And then you'll come back with a rewrite. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) Like, yes. Okay. We're into it. We're into it now. That last segment of You Don't Deserve to Die was read at Apartment Party. I want to say in early 2019 or late yeah I think 2018 it was, um I think it was early 2019 yeah that was like way in the beginning where I had like these very separate worlds um that I was just beginning to write and we read a podcast in this spot we did <laughs> we did it's happening the, right now the final scene of you don't deserve to die is a podcast recording and it was read by me brandon bogan shoots evan cromit yes and it was read in this exact same spot and i was wearing something very similar to what you're wearing right now that's so funny <laughs> it's so funny Deja full circle <laughs> yeah um but that play is so nice because you you build these worlds and then you smash them and you never revisit them, which I think is so interesting. No, it's like, because, so there's part one, which takes place in a Bard-esque college. Yes. Community um, Mm co-op. And uh, part two takes place in Wisconsin, which uh, for those listening, that is where Anya is from. Mm -hmm. And the final portion is a podcast. And I don't know if you want to sort of delve into... What were you working through at the time? What were were these worlds representing for you? I, at the time, was working on a play as an audio engineer that was like very much decidedly an eco play, very much about like the environment and humans' treatment of the environment, our inevitable demise, um, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I was really disillusioned by the production of it and how, you know, the disconnect between what a play is saying and how it's being produced. And there's so much waste involved. Right. Um, and that just felt like very baseline. Like there's so many, there's so many things you can do to like be an activist for the environment in a lot of different ways more so than just waste but like that's a pretty baseline and they were it was just like out the window um Mm. and so I was pretty disillusioned by that and 
I think I was just complaining to a friend and they were like, write a play about it. So <laughs> I did. <laughs> I love that. And I also didn't, you know, like I, I'm not really interested in like the, the preaching. I think most reasonable people understand climate change and, you know, where we're heading. But I, I wanted to explore like what humanity's done and like what's worth saving, what's not mm. worth saving, which is, you know, looking back, maybe a little pessimistic or nihilistic, but I don't know. Th- those were the feelings I was having. I wanted to explore that and like explore maybe reasons why we should be saved <laughs> if that's what comes out of it. Totally. I, I think I, I obviously no spoiler alerts, but the conclusion of that kind of gives me a really nice insight into how you feel. I don't know. I think that there, there is a, a, a positive message at the end of that. Which, <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I, I think, I think of you as a generally uh, reasonable and positive person. <laughs> so, Thanks. Um, but I, I, I can totally see how I, I worked in events quite a bit and there mm-hmm. is this moment where they just go and everything gets thrown away. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything. And how can we reconcile oh, well, this is a massive charity event that has made XYZ amount of money, right. but we're going to trash $20,000 or you know, 10,000 pounds worth of waste will be made from this. Right. How do we rectify those disparities? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The waste created in the theater and event industry is often fueled by a capitalist mindset of immediacy in the artistic processes. Tons of plywood, various kinds of tape, electronics and electricity, glassware, utensils will all be wasted in a day to actualize an artistic vision by process of quote-unquote trial and error. Theater, unfortunately, is ridden with capitalist mindsets that harm both the environment and people, most famously seen in the phrase, the show must go on. So then, I mean, I met you professionally working as uh, audio and visual uh, audio tech, I should say. And how did that then, I guess, start to inform your creative work in that field? That's a good question. <laughs> and then, like, I, I feel like I've wrestled with these two things that I do for a while. I, up until the pandemic, was working full time as a theater technician, which is something that I kind of picked up after college when I realized, oh shit, like <laughs> I need to make money. And it was something that I knew very little about. I had taken like a few video classes. I was interested more in the V part of AV mm. and then learned audio by necessity. I think that I kept those two worlds separate for mm. a while. Meaning professionally and creatively? Professionally and creatively, professionally as a theater technician, creatively as more of a, a, a writer, comedian, um, any silly thing I wanted to make. And now I'm in school for performance and interactive media arts. And right. I'm, I'm really more interested in kinds of performance that kind of break those divides. And so trying to replicate that in my own work, I think... It's kind of happening in a lot of places, even right now, um, because so many people have been forced to move their practice online. A lot of theater artists know how to use a green screen, and that's really cool. That didn't used to always be the case. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they like have really good editing skills just because they've kind of been forced to. And that's the kind of work that I'm I'm more interested in is something that plays with all the tools that we've been given. Mm -hmm. 
Theater technicians represent the working class of the theater industry. Many make a living on Broadway, a multi-billion dollar industry that has provided 96,900 jobs and 14.7 billion to the city's economy in 2019 alone. However, this Broadway work requires a union status. Local One is one of New York's oldest and strongest unions that traditionally has run within the same families throughout generations. Many off-Broadway theater technicians, often queer, trans, black, indigenous, POC, have stayed away from this union for its homogenous environment, leaving them with no safety net when theaters across New York followed Broadway's lead in shutting down for almost a year now. So through that sort of experience of beginning to meld the worlds in audio and visual into your creative life and sort of say, okay, this is something I'm passionate about. This is something that I, I want to see incorporated into theater or, you know, as a standalone audio visual piece. I know that you and I have spoken quite a bit about the necessity of that throughout COVID. And I'm wondering if you could give me your thoughts a little bit about just in terms of the audiovisual and sort of um, how we are going to continue to grow across mediums moving forward. Yeah. So I've been lucky enough to find some gigs that there's a lot of theaters who are looking for people who like understand theater and how theater works, but are also have these technical abilities so that they can mm. move online. There's a lot of Zoom readings. There's a lot of... yes virtual galas there's some really interesting things happening too actually for a while like I, I was doing like a lot of virtual stand-up mics which I think a lot of people in the comedy world are pretty universally sick of at this point right <laughs> I mean, there right. might be a dialogue around that but I think um for the most part most people I know are like I it's not worth it live um, comedy stylings is a really really hard thing to thing to take to a zoom platform well it's also like there's already digital sketch and I think that's part right. of it is that like how you synthesize that into something like comedy into something digital already exists like pretty successfully correct yeah and to do that in another way there's like some things that I think are really creative and really interesting I know that there is someone who is doing like live google doc improv performances and that's something different that's interesting fun. yeah I love it um it would be like I mean kind of what it sounds like there would be different people who would be improving with each other and they would just be using the google doc to make those <laughs> improv decisions and write dialogue it was and it was wow, like wow I hadn't heard of this that's fascinating I'll have to send you some links please but that was something new and something different and so I find that really interesting The kind of just trying to copy paste the live experience onto something that's pre-recorded, I think is where it ends up failing. Yeah. It's failure to adapt. Failure to adapt. Yeah. Totally. And I've, I've heard a lot of theaters and theatrical people express like both frustration around that. And also this kind of like have this kind of awakening to the digital world, which is exciting on one hand and frustrating on another because there's also been video and digital integration into theater for a long time. Right. And having everyone suddenly wake up to that just now out of necessity and then begin to see these things as something like new, like they just came up with this idea is frustrating because that's what I love. <laughs> like right. That's what I love to work on to see is like integrating um, podcasts into live performance and these mm. audio journeys and integrating like video installations. There's 
a lot of really interesting performances already happening with that. And I wish that they were <laughs> that they were seeing those while they were happening. Right. So you kind of feel like they're sort of co-opting almost a art form that is, has already been thriving and, yeah. and sort of saying like, uh, like reinventing the wheel kind of. For sure. Yeah. And it's also good. I mean, like I, it, it is something I love. So I'm glad that more people are becoming interested in it, even if it is out of necessity. I think that patience and adaptability have been like my number one right now. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know about you, but for me, the Zoom stuff and the non-live stuff, honestly, just makes me sad at this point. Yeah. Um, I miss, uh, I am a live person. <laughs> like Even <laughs> doing this podcast, I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm like talking to another human being. The artists and comedians mentioned using Google Docs as a comedic platform are Marissa Goldman at the media, Witch underscore and at a night of funny jokes, both of whom can be found on Instagram. Artists who had already been using media and technology in their work, PowerPoint stand-up, multimedia variety shows, even artistic collaborations between dancer Bill T. Jones and Paul Kaiser and Shelley Ashkar, for example, have had somewhat easier transition to a completely online digital platform due to their already interdisciplinary background. The same can't be said for most theatrical institutions, however. Popular productions such as Hamilton and David Burns' American Utopia have moved online, allowing for different and wider audiences in some cases, allowing audiences to pay performers more directly, but it doesn't support the technical and administrative staff that make theaters run in New York City. Additionally, the precedent has now been set for performing artists to provide their own digital skills and equipment, a precedent that cannot be financially met by most working artists and performers. So which kind of brings me to my thesis point of mm-hmm. of the day and a question that I have been asking basically since June when I really started to conceptualize what the next part of live community was going to be. This is something I'm going to be asking all of my guests and I just I want to hear everyone's perspective. So it is um, what does joy look like in a community setting going forward and what does that mean for you? What a good question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's kind of on all of our minds is like, oh, I mean, now now here I go, like <laughs> doing the same thing, reinventing the wheel or whatever. But I, I think that like the whole world going through this experience has made us all kind of reevaluate why we're alive to some extent and mm. like what brings us joy. And as much as capitalism is really affecting our ability to survive um, mm. in unfair ways, there is like for small moments, this anti-capitalist dream, because it's kind of had to be put on hold <laughs> for, right. for small moments and like totally overrun everything for most of the time. But there, every every so often there's a moment where capitalism is failing and you get to have this kind of fantasy of like, what if I got to decide what makes me happy and that's why I was alive and not to... Um, not to like pursue my dream job and capitalize off of <laughs> what I love and turn it into money. I think really reconciling that for the oh. community and, you know, working toward liberation for all people. <laughs> That's like a little corny or heavy. I don't know. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, I, I think that, like you said, like we've really had to stop and look mm-hmm. and been forced, whether you're still working from home or not, we've really had to look and say, what 
am I? And I know for Mm -hmm. me, that has been who am I surrounding myself with? Because my community is so much, I hope, a reflection of, of where I'm going and what I want to be doing. Theaters, live performance venues, and cinemas receive a dose of help from the federal government with the passage of Save Our Stages Act, which allocates $15 billion to the live entertainment industry in forms of grants. New York City also recently announced a new program called Open Culture, where artists will be able to apply for outdoor performance permits in city-approved spaces. There is a fear, however, that the fragility of getting theater back on its feet will further gentrify the arts in New York City. Theater's financial instability will make them more beholden to a white audience and less likely to take risks on new and less financially secure artistic ventures, particularly ones that challenge the status quo. This is the importance of We See You White American Theater as a guide for accountability, especially as theaters open up again. You can read this incredible full open letter at We See You W-A-T on Instagram. Thank you so much, Anya, for being on today's podcast, Our Maiden Voyage. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Of course. It's been an absolute pleasure. And any um, plugs anywhere, please tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, we talked about You Don't Deserve to Die. You Don't Deserve to Die is going to have a reading with Playthings and the Alliance of Creatives. Also, I've been working on a show called Six Shooter, which Miller is also a part of. Yes. That's going to be coming out on the Bauman Theaters podcast, Artists We Fucks With, in February. And I'm always working on Random Podcast by Catherine Bloom. That's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I just want you to listen to all of them. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk your ear off. (laughs) AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files can be found on any streaming platforms where you listen to your podcasts. Today, I'd like to give a special thanks to Corey Germain, Rachel Kreber, Carrie Blue and Alexandra Cole for donating their time and consulting for the podcast. Their prior knowledge was so valuable. Huge thank you to Tim LaSalle for donating his digital creativity. Our theme music is by Fab the Duo, F-A-B the Duo, who can be found on all streaming platforms. And a huge thank you to H. Conley for their incredible research on today's episode. You might have heard some clicks today throughout the podcast. That was Tucker Mitchell, who is our iconic photographer for apartment party events, and now for this podcast as well. Huge thank you to everyone listening and everyone I've bounced ideas off since literally summer 2020 when I first conceptualized this idea. Thank you all. You have no idea how much it means to me. This has been an AP Studio production in association with Apartment Party.